I want to talk just for a few minutes, and I'm aware of the time, and this, I promise not to be too long today, maybe. Um, I want to talk about unity in the body of Christ, and then we're going to go to the table of the Lord. So I hope you'll respect the service and stay with us here through the end of the communion service. But before I do, I have to confess something to you this morning. My confession is that I really struggle with what to share with you today. That isn't always the case. There's always the, you know, once you determine what you're going to talk about and where in Scripture you're going to go and what you feel the Lord, the the basic message you feel like the Lord is laying on your heart, then there's the, you know, there's the process of of preparation and doing the research and study and all of that. Typically for me, up to this point, the what has come fairly easily. The Lord's been very faithful in, in helping us. But the truth is, I struggle very much with with what to share with you today. And here's the way it happened. I I kept hearing those quietly persistent thoughts about reminding us as a fellowship of the absolute necessity of unity with other believers and and keeping our hearts right before the Lord and with fellow Christians. And those were the quietly persistent thoughts that kept coming into my head. But I kept rationalizing them away. I kept thinking, no, there's got to be something else. I, I don't know, I just, I just kept pushing them out of my head, and I kept finding excuses and reasons not to talk about that with you today, and reasons like this. Well, someone's going to think I'm directing this right at them, and I'm not. I have some, often some of you come up and say, were you just preaching to me today? No. It's never my heart, never my intention. Someone's going to think I'm directing this, at, and I'm not. Someone's going to assume that there's if I talk about unity or, or some of the issues about unity, someone's going to assume that there is a, some big terrible issue in the church and, and they're going to try to read between the lines and they're going to try to see what's lurking beneath the surface and, and, and with what I'm saying. And, and that's not the case at all. That's really not the case. And the big reason that I just kept excusing these thoughts away, they kept coming to me persistently and I would, I would toss them out of my head, is that I spoke on this subject just a few months ago even using some of these same verses, and I actually I thought I was pretty exhaustive with it at that time, and I kept telling myself, and I'm sure everyone in the congregation remembers that sermon in every detail of it, right? <clears throat> and then I got hit between the eyes in a time of devotion this week with these words from Oswald Chambers. Now understand, that was the frame of mind I was in. I kept excusing away. You, you got it. Here's what happened was in a time of devotion. It says, I know when the instructions have come from God because of their quiet persistence. Yeah. But when I begin to weigh the pros and cons and doubt and debate enter into my mind, I am bringing in an element that is not of God. Many of us are faithful to our ideas about Jesus Christ, but how many of us are faithful to Jesus himself? You need to let that sink in for just a second. Faithfulness to Jesus means that I must step out even when and where I can't see anything. But faithfulness to my own ideas means that I first clear the way mentally. Faith, however, is not intellectual understanding. Faith is a deliberate commitment to the person of Jesus Christ, even when I can't see the way 
ahead. Simply obey him with unrestrained joy. When he tells you something and you begin to debate, it is because you have a misunderstanding of what honors him and what doesn't. Are you faithful to Jesus or are you faithful? <laughs> Got one amen. Where are you? I'm going to preach over here the rest of the morning. Are you the one that, is she the one that did the motions up here with us? Are you faithful to Jesus or are you faithful to your ideas about him? I'm going to say that again. I really want you to take this home with you today. I really want you to use this as a filter for what happens to you this week. I really want this to be the thing that sticks to you and you go home and as you walk through the circumstances and the trials and the issues and the deliberating in your own mind, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I faithful to Jesus or am I faithful to my ideas about him? Are you faithful to what he says or are you trying to compromise his words with thoughts that never came from him? Well, that's exactly, that's exactly how I found myself this week, trying to rationalize away the very thoughts that were being put in my head and in my heart by the Holy Spirit, and I was trying to rationalize them away, trying to think of all the reasons why, and I had to repent. That's how you know as a believer whether or not you are committed to your ideas about Jesus or truly committed to Jesus. Because when there is any shred of evidence left in you that signifies that you are willing to disobey him or that you are trying to say, I'll figure this out, I know better than you, you wouldn't probably actually say that, but that's what we're doing. When he has clearly given direction, when those thoughts are persistent and they come and you recognize they are from the Holy Spirit, you recognize he's trying to give you direction, and yet for whatever reason you try to rationalize and walk away from Has that happened to anybody else besides me? Then the challenge for all of us here today, the raising of the bar for all of us here today is are we going to be obedient to Jesus or are we going to simply have nice ideas and thoughts about him? When you're just having nice ideas and thoughts about him and you've decided you know better and you're going to use your intellect, ever how wonderful it is, and I hope it's great for you, whatever that is, and you've got to rationalize everything and you've got to see all the way through and you've got to figure everything out and yet he's given you direction to get out of the boat and go, that is actually an act of rebellion that we must, for which we must repent. I'm sure I could find a softer way of saying it, but that's the way it came out. And you find yourself saying things like this, even though you've been given direction. And you find yourself saying things like, well, that's just not the way I am. That's just not, I've been asked to do this, you know, that, that's just not me. That's just not what I do. That's not what I do. I challenge you on that today. Because when you say things like that, you are setting yourself up in a posture of disobedience. Even if that's crept up on you surreptitiously, the question and the challenge to me and to you, to all of us today, is 
Are you faithful to Jesus or are you simply faithful to your ideas about him? Because there is a vast difference. When we are faithful to Jesus, we are ready and willing to obey him no matter what. No matter what. One of the first stories from the New Testament that I remember connecting with as a child, a very young child. It, it was the first story that really resonated in my mind that got planted. I don't know if it's because of a Sunday school teacher who was um, gifted in communicating it and I, I caught it, whatever. Is the story of the first miracle of Jesus recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 2. You know it well. Jesus is at a wedding in Cana of Galilee and they, they run out of wine for the celebration, which was a terribly embarrassing uh, situation for the host family in that culture. Obviously, more people had shown up than anticipated, and they found themselves lacking. Their little study of that would, a little research would show you why that was the case. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, approaches her son, the Christ, and she comes to him and says, they have no more wine. Now, again, there's interest here in the story that for which doesn't serve our cause this morning, that you should study. Read the second chapter of John this afternoon. But Jesus responds in a way that catches some of us off guard. In fact, we could misunderstand the way he's communicating there if we don't do research properly. But he, he responds, and after that interchange between Mary and Jesus, Mary simply says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Whatever he tells you to do. She doesn't say you can question it. You can figure it out. You can ask him why. Doesn't say any of that. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, just do it. No, shake your finger at him. Come on, with a little passion. Just do it. There's a well-known sports company in our culture that has branded themselves with the phrase, just do it. Who knows who it is? Ah, yes, yes, yes. Well, you might say, but, but what if I don't like what he tells me to do? What if I don't, what if I don't like that? Or, 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 or maybe I, I just don't like having to do that. That's just not me. It's just not what I do. What if I don't like that? My response to that is the same as my response was to my two children. We were raising them. Oh, oh, you don't like having to do that? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to like it. You just have to do it. That's the way it is. You don't have to like it. Nobody said you had to like it. You just have to do it. Church, we must come to the point. If we are spirit-filled people and we believe that the Spirit of God dwells within, and we do, amen? And we open our lives to him and we are committed to him and we are asking for direction. We are asking for guidance. And then he, he responds to us. He's more anxious to respond to us than we are even to receive what he's going to give us. And when he does that and he illuminates our hearts and our minds and he gives us direction to go, we must learn to obey. Just do it. Say it with me. Just do it. Do it again. So what are we saying today? Well, you know good and well that some of us have been guilty of rationalizing away thoughts that have been placed in our minds by the Holy Spirit. It's time for us all to obey, and it's time for us to just do it. Thank you. I'm bringing her on the platform soon. 
Well, this morning, if I'm going to be obedient, then I'm going to have to direct your attention back to Psalm 133. Even though I talked about it not so long ago, like I said, I'm sure you all remember it so well. <clears throat> how, many of you, how many of you have heard of the preacher who kept preaching the same message week after week, week after week, after, same message? Finally, some of the church members came to him to ask why he couldn't preach another sermon. Why does he have to preach the same thing all the time? And his response was simple. When you start living this one, then I'll preach another one. Look with me at Psalm 133. Can you put it up on the screen for me, please? <clears throat> How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together, you could say sisters as well, live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, ran down his beard, and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there, the Lord has pronounced his blessing. Other versions say has commanded his blessing, even life everlasting. Back it up. This is only three verses. I want to read it one more time. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as what? As the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head ran down his beard and on, onto the border of his robe. It's as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls in the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has commanded his blessing, even life everlasting. Harmony. Harmony. Here's one of us. Here's another. Is that pleasing? That's what happens when we're not in harmony. Here's Joe. Here's Sally. Here's Herman. Here's Debbie. I, I hope there's not a Debbie sitting over here. Here's Fred. That's what happens when we're not in harmony. How refreshing when we are. You know, when I was a kid, learning to play the piano, started very young before I could even read or write anything. <clears throat> this is going to sound crazy to you, and maybe it is, but it, nonetheless... It's how, it's how the keyboard began to work in my head. I've told you the story about learning to play. My mom plopped me down the piano next to her, and I learned to play songs from church. For me, the notes on the scale, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, I began to see them as personalities or people. I should have probably developed some sort of a teaching method on this. I never did over the years. But this is what worked in my head. Not only were they people, little characters in my mind as a small child, they were also, they had genders. I don't know why. This is F, that's a boy. G was a boy. 
C is a girl. E was a girl. B, I could never figure out what B was. But one thing I noticed was, you know what? These two get along really well. When you play them together, there's harmony. I wouldn't have used that word. It's nice. And you know what? You add this one to the mix, and they have a great time together. And little by little, that's how I learned to play, because I could identify them as like little people here on the keyboard with personalities, attitudes. And when they worked with this one, there was harmony. When they worked with this one, there was a little tension in the room. And the scripture tells us this, how wonderful, how pleasant it is when God's people, when brothers and sisters dwell together in harmony. Now, why do you think this psalm is here for us? Because it's so easy for us with our human nature to slip from living together in harmony to just existing in discord. For where there is harmony, this psalm says, there he has commanded his blessing to fall. How many of you want to see blessing on your job? Of course you do. Then live in harmony with your co-workers. Put others ahead of yourself. Be sure you're not involved in malicious slander or talk about another co-worker. For there he's commanded his blessing to fall. You want the blessing of God upon your work? Then live in harmony. How many of you want to see the blessing of God in your home? Then live in harmony with your wife, with your husband, and with your children. Stop nitpicking over every tiny little single thing and learn to live in harmony. For there he has commanded his blessing to fall. And when you live in harmony, watch the blessing of God begin to fall on your home. For when we live together in harmony, there he has commanded his blessing to fall. Why is it that we speak most unkindly of those that we love the most, our family members, and we, we are sharp with them and we're terse with our words, and yet those who mean far less to us, we can be ever so gracious. We can drive to church on Sunday morning, and before we pull in the parking lot, we can say, you made me late this morning. How come you couldn't get out of the bathroom in time? Da-da-da-da-da. Going on and on and on. Why are we we... Oh, good morning. God bless you, Sister Brown. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing, are you? Living together in harmony. That's the behavior of those who want God's blessing to fall upon them. Blessing in your home. This is a good place for me to ask again. Are you committed to your idea of Jesus or are you committed to Jesus? Because if you're committed to Jesus, then you are interested in the blessing of God being upon your home, being upon your work. Then just do it. How about the church? Do you want to see the blessing of God fall upon our church? Who can say amen to that? You know when you get quiet, I preach a lot longer. I should warn you of that. Haven't we all seen churches that are like on a treadmill in some kind of motion but going nowhere because they've allowed the enemy to come in and divide them and typically over 
stupid stuff. Typically over things that really don't matter. Pews, choir robes. I'm not saying those things don't matter, and I'm certainly not calling them stupid. Please don't misunderstand. What's stupid is the fact that we allow things to divide us. Lighting, music, music styles, all of those things. We allow the enemy to come in and divide us. And here's the uncomfortable reality. I wish I could say it to you another way. When the church decides to not live in unity, when people in the church allow themselves to become bitter over whatever, and then they start to isolate because their preferences weren't acknowledged, something didn't happen the way they wanted, bitterness creeps in, An ugly spirit is allowed to formulate and dominate. And you know it's there no matter how hard you try to mask it or how hard you try to hide it. And you certainly can't hide it from God. Now harmony is gone. Discord is well in place. And when that happens, church, the raw truth is this. The blessing of God is lifted. Now I would like to say that to you another way. But my responsibility is to tell you the truth. Do you believe I'm telling you the truth today? When we choose to harbor things in our heart against our brother and against our sister, and it's possible for all of us, oh, I've been hurt in the church. Take a number and get in line. We've all been hurt in the church. We're humans. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And I'm sorry that you've been hurt in the church. Well, I had expectations that it would always be wonderful and people would be kind to me and everybody would speak and she just didn't even look at me today. And blah, blah, blah. And when we allow that to then harbor in our heart, she didn't return my call. And she wore those orange shoes that I don't like. (laughs) All in the same week. When we allow those kinds of things to fall into and harbor, oh, the things we harbor. Oh, oh, the things we harbor. The things we can make place for in our hearts. All the while allowing the blessing of God to be lifted right off of us. Your quietness lets me know that you feel the same conviction that I feel. There we are as a church, if you're in that situation, go on a treadmill, going through the motions and going nowhere. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore as prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word keep there means to guard. Guard it as a precious thing. You know what? The world tears down. Christians are to build up. I said the world tears down and we are to build up. But to do so, we ourselves must be built up first because if we are not built up, we will be simply ministering from empty vessels. 
Well, Dan, what's the way that you can be built up? Speaking in other tongues. Allow your heavenly language. Don't let a day go by that you're not worshiping the Lord Jesus in your heavenly language. Can I get an amen to that today? That's what the scripture tells us. It's what edifies us. Words of prophecy edify the church. Speaking in other tongues and allowing your prayer language to be exhibited edifies you. That's one way that you become built up. Go on, Dan. However, if we seek only personal edification, then we become like spiritual sponges. We must also seek to build others up. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. F.A. Noble said, Murmuring Christians are seldom of any use in the cause of Christ. Oh, I'm going to move on. Here's what I believe about you, because I want to believe this about you. I believe you want to be at peace with your brother and your sister. I choose to believe the best. I get angry at the enemy who tries to come in and divide and allow these little things that we are somehow able to harbor to divide us. Call me naive if you want. But I choose to believe that you wouldn't be here unless you wanted to live in the blessing of God. Oh, as I worked on this this week, I said, oh, God, don't let your blessing be lifted off of Bethesda. Let us learn to walk in harmony. Let us learn to put aside the little tiny things that so easily beset us so that our hearts stay focused on you, that we are a people with our feet on the ground and our hearts toward the Lord and we're humbled before you. Do not let your blessing fall from our church. Don't let your blessing fall from my life. Don't let your blessing fall from my home. Does anybody have that prayer with me today? Are we committed to Jesus? Are we simply committed to our ideas about him? Commitment to Jesus is more than just a mental ascent. It's walking in absolute direct obedience to his word and his will and his way. So you might say this, as I'm coming to a close here. I'm, I'm really working at coming to a close. I want you to know that. Dan, how does, how does resolve take place? Because you're right. I've allowed things to be harbored in my heart. And I don't see the issue the same as my brother. And that's probably not going to happen in this life. Is this just some sort of a Pollyanna pretend that we love each other and hold hands and put a fake smile on our face and sing Kumbaya? Is that what you're calling for? No. I can start by telling you how unity and harmony won't happen and a sure way that the blessing of God can be lifted off of fellowship. Things like getting in groups of people or with just one other and speaking ill of something that you don't like. You want to lift the blessing of God off of the fellowship? Do that. This is going to be plain talk here for a couple of minutes. Plain. I worked on sugarcoating it and we ran out of sugar at my house. Gossiping about a brother or sister when you probably only have partial truth, if that, about the circumstances. You don't even really know the whole truth. 
But you've taken a little snapshot that you've got and formed a judgment and decided to spread that with other people. You want to lift the blessing of God off of fellowship? Do that. Am I telling you the truth? Seeing something take place over which you don't approve and deciding to talk about it and maybe even get upset enough to quit the church over it and on the process, see how many other people you can get to affirm your position. That will lift the blessing of God off a church. Feeling you were mistreated and deciding to isolate yourself and now I'm just going to pull away. Instead of staying engaged in ministry, oh, the things we harbor. These are the kinds of things, dear church, that will lift the blessing of God off our fellowship. But there's another way. There's another way. There's another way. And I would propose a much, much better way. But first, you must decide and I must decide if you are truly committed to Jesus or just your ideas about him. If you're only committed to your ideas about Jesus, then all those things I just mentioned will be fine with you. And they may even be part of your current behavior. But someone who's committed to Jesus will look like this. Pastor. Oh, pastor. My heart is broken. I don't understand. It's come to me. I've heard the news about this has happened. And so and so, so and so, this has happened. I've just discovered that. Or I've heard that a decision has been made. Pastor, my heart is broken. I've wept tears over this. I've laid before the Lord. I don't understand. Can you help me? I'm hoping you can tell me this is not true. That's what I'm hoping you can tell me. But if you can't tell me that, can you just help me understand? Because I don't want, I don't, I don't want the blessing of God lifted off of our fellowship. Can you just help me understand? That's what somebody who's committed to Jesus would look like. And I want to come in a spirit of humility. Please help me because my commitment is to Jesus and not just my ideas about him. How wonderful. How pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity and in harmony. You want to know why? Because it gives opportunity for the redemptive grace of Jesus to be applied. So often when I'm in conflict resolution with people, all I'm saying is, Oh God, let the redemptive grace of Jesus be applied. If you walk down the hall of our office, it says, Redemption is plan A. And I drill that in the heads of our team, our pastoral team. Redemption is plan A. Because I believe in the redemptive grace of Jesus. I believe he wants to take the cursed thing and turn it around and make it a blessing for the glory of his name. And who knows? When you make a step toward redemption, you never know what's happening in that other person's heart. You never can't go by past history. They just might say to you, you know what? Dan, you and I may never see this issue the same way. But I was wrong to react the way I did. I was very defensive. And that's not the way that I want to be. I too want the blessing of God on my life, in my home, and in our fellowship. So please, please forgive me. People who are committed to Jesus really do understand Whatever he tells you to do, 
just Maybe you've not been one speaking ill of others, but you've been caught in a conversation with another person who's saying things they should not. You're uncomfortable with it, and you know it's wrong. God, teach us how to stop those conversations. We can do it without being ugly, without being offensive. When someone begins to speak in a way that you know is not advancing unity and harmony, God, help us as a fellowship to advance that as a high value in all of us. When you, when you see someone or you're caught in a conversation like that, a simple statement like this, let's just commit this to Jesus. Let's just see what he can do with it is a far better choice than engaging in conversation. And eventually, people will understand that with you, there's a boundary that you do not want to violate. Oh, how wonderful and pleasant when brothers and sisters live together in unity and harmony. In just a minute now, we're going to observe communion. In fact, I'm going to ask Pastor Brent to come. The ushers can come in service. They can do it quietly, please. And everyone will hold steady in your place. Something struck me this week as I was preparing this message. And it was this. I wonder what would happen if one of these days as we come to the table of the Lord... Somebody really made a bold determination in their heart that they did not want to drink of the cup unworthily. Somebody made an absolute determination that they want their heart clean before Jesus, broken and humbled. What if somebody caught the message this morning that it is so wonderful, it is so pleasant for brothers and sisters to live in harmony? It's precious. It's refreshing. And even before we partake, they simply got up from where they are, seated, and they went to another brother and sister to say, I know we don't see some issues the same, but that's not the point right now. What I want to say is that I've been wrong for speaking ill of you. Would you forgive me? And today, bigger than the pride that would stop me, is my desire to live with the blessing of God in my life. Is my desire to live with the blessing of God in my home. And is my desire that the blessing of God will be upon our church. And so before I even take communion today, I need it to be well with you and me. Now, I'm not forcing anything here today. I'm not trying to create something awkward. I don't know if anybody will respond to that or not. That's up to you and the Holy Spirit. But I know in my own heart, when we come to the table of the Lord, we're called upon to examine ourselves. Really examine ourselves. And if we have been conducting ourselves in a way that is anything less than obedient to Jesus, we must repent. Pastor Brent's going to lead us in a song in just a minute. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to sweep over us as the ushers are serving the elements. We're being reminded what Jesus has done for us. And all I'm saying to you is this. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it.
let's bow our hearts and quietly before the Lord.